Hi, everybody. This is Jean Bliss, author of Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. So, Gene Bliss, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? Thank you, my friend. I am so good. How are you doing? You drinking? I am. I am. Cheers. Here we go. Cheers, Doug. Cheers and uh, and as are you, and you have the most beautiful cocktail, which people can see in the uh, the picture I took uh, in your show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. It's is... a dirty martini. Should we give recipes? Yes, please. And uh, if you could email it to me, I'll include it in those show notes because okay. I, uh, yeah. I just interviewed Rand Fishkin and he had uh, quite the, the great uh, recipe from a, a mixologist in, in Seattle where, where he lives. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. The trick in the dirty cocktail is getting the best kind of dirty in it. Would would you care to explain that? That it's the olive juice is uh, is critical. Sometimes people just dump the olive juice from their olive jar into the martini, but I have mine shipped in from a wonderful store. So oh, wow! Now it's only special olive juice. The where dirty. Where are you? Where are you uh, in quarantine? I'm in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Oh, so Seattle, right there. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. all the people in Seattle have these nice uh, drink recipes. What's going on with you Seattle people? We yeah. are working and drinking, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's what <laughs> the X's and the O's or the pluses and the minuses, whatever it goes into all that computer programming. It just needs a little alcohol to move. Oh, well, let me remind listeners uh, just who Gene Bliss is. I, I am, I wanted to share with them. You were the first Chief Customer Officer at, correct me if I'm wrong, like Land's Inn, Microsoft, Allstate, Mazda, and Colwell Banker. Yeah. And uh, you showed them, as, and I remember this in Chief Customer Officer 2.0, how to quantify uh, the value of customer experience. And then some of your other books, I guess the first one was Chief Customer Officer. Yeah, would, in would, 2006, that w- was a different cover. That's right. Yeah. right. And then you reprised that with, with 2.0. So then yep. the second book was, which we didn't talk about, but maybe we can talk about, I Love You More Than My Dog, Five yep. Decisions That Drive Extreme Customer Loyalty in Good Times and Bad which uh, might be relevant to, to what we're talking about. And then your, I guess it's your fourth book, fourth is book. the one uh-huh. that has just 
such an incredible title. Would you do that to your mother? <laughs> the Make Mom Proud standard for how to treat your customer. Yeah. And I recently interviewed uh, Robbie Kelman Baxter about oh, yeah. her new book, I'm Forever I'm going to interview Tra- her next week. Yeah. You're going to meet her next week? Yeah, interview her next week. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, for your for your podcast. For my podcast. Oh, yeah. And tell folks who your uh, what your podcast is. Uh, yeah, my podcast is called the Chief Duck Customer Officer Human Duct Tape Show. It's uh, how to unite your organization to to do it right for uh, customer growth and business growth. Hence the duct tape metaphor. Duct, ta- duct tape. That's right. Yes, mm-hmm. that's great. Mm-hmm. So, um, talk to me about the. That that one book title, uh, Good Times and Bad, with I Love You yeah. More Than My Dog. Tell us a little bit more about that book, because we haven't had a chance to talk about that one. Yeah, you bet. It's interesting. That book actually came out in 2009, in the middle of the economic downturn. And um, it's 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 the precursor, if you will, to the, I got a dog book and a mom book to the mom book. But it really is about what I call becoming a beloved company behaving in a way where the attributes of who you are as people come out and how you run the business. And that creates a magnetic pull um, very much in line with um, the, the things I talk about in the mom book. This book was um, an Inc magazine, a number one recommended book. It, it won a lot of awards. It was on the 800 CEO read shortlist. Um, and it's a joyous book. A very short read, an airplane read, if you will, but it's really around how to become beloved so that you are the kind of company that people want to keep and um, and breed the kind of employees that you know people dream about having. Gene, how did you get into this customer experience line of of work uh, at, at such an early stage in your career? Oh, well, you know, I was so lucky. So First of all, the the thing that was the greatest for me. Do you do you have a shot of my new website by any chance? Customerbliss.com. Uh, yeah, when you get a chance, you can I share have it that. Here. Yeah, I've got yeah. it. Well, we're going to include a link to it at this episode at yep. marketingbookcocktails.com, oh, which cool. is a domain I bought just oh, yesterday. There goes my phone. I apologize. Let me unplug my phone. I forgot to do that. Stop bringing the phone. It adds to the cocktail lounge ambience. There we go. Yeah, if you go to the. Still ringing. I apologize. I hope um, the listener appreciates that Jean is talking to us, and and everybody wants to talk to Jean. So. Oh my gosh! I apologize. I usually unplug my phone. If you go to the front um, homepage of this, just click on Customer Bliss. Mm-hmm. There you go. I'm there. There we go. So I um, to go oh, all I the forgot. way back. You'll I see forgot. I'm homepage. still sharing my screen with you. Yeah, no, I love it. Um, I have, you scroll down, I have a dad who, well, my dad is gone now, but he's was an unforgettable guy. He had a Buster Brown shoe store. And um, when he retired, a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, um, that buying shoes would never be the same. And that it, he was the guy who you remembered all your life that was part of this story. He was the guy who, um, when you, um, bought your shoes, if you didn't have enough, he said, take those shoes home, get them on your little one's feet. He made garlic and sausage in the back. And, you know, he taught me about humanity and business was Mm -hmm. the point. 
when he retired a line of people three blocks long stood to say goodbye to him, including Mrs. McCaskey, who was the mother of the bears with a, a shirt signed by all the bears um, growing up in Chicago. But the notion of this and about how you will and will not run a company, even though he was pretty small potatoes, stayed with me. And so I answered an ad in the Chicago Tribune. I was two years out of college and went to Land's End. And Land's End was essentially the Zappos of our day. We were a hundred million in sales when I got there. And in the nine and a half years while I was there, we had gone to a billion dollars in sales and became a public company. And what did they? What was the job that you started? Um, what did they so hire you for? I, my first job was training twenty five hundred phone operators on customer service and taking care of customers and and their role. And um, I was peppering Gary Comer, the founder because I was listening to customers and a year into the job, he said, okay, smarty pants, you now report to the executive committee, these three amazing men. I, I called them the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. That's my Italian Catholic background. But he said, you're the conscience of the company. We're growing 80% a year. We're bringing good people in from disciplined businesses, but who don't know the land's end way of doing business. Your job is to keep us in alignment with our values and how we run this business as we bring in all these different people from different cultures. So we will grow the land's end way. And um, when we went public, for example, a 26 year old version of me presented um, to the to the financial community, the connection between customers and their experience and lifetime value and business growth and profitability. I had actually built a journey map with Velcroed boards that I would unvelcro and re-Velcro in this running show of the uh, customer experience lifetime journey. Oh my gosh. Um, of what was happening with the customer. So I am sorry about that. We can, um, we can stop here if you want to. Yeah, I need to answer off. that. I apologize. That's can right. I just let me, Okay. Hi, Jean Bliss. Hello? Hi. Okay, I'll just put it outside the front door, okay? Okay, okay I'll call the security guard. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm sorry, Doug. I apologize. No Murphy's problem. Law. Do you mind if I just call them really quick? I apologize. No, right ahead. I'm so sorry. Do you want to start again? No, no. I'll just cut this part out. Okay. It's all good. Okay. I'll be right back. I'll be I right back. Don't go anywhere. Oh my gosh, Doug. I am so, so, so sorry. It's all right. Do I am so, so sorry. Did I screw you up terribly? No, no. Okay. Okay. Good. So we were talking about, um, let's circle back here. You were hired at Land's End. You were two years out of college and you said you were training all these uh, phone people. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, how did you get to, uh, how did you get into that? particular thing. Had you been doing that uh, before Land's End? Um, I have a degree in apparel design and had been developing uh, training programs for Hart Schaffner and Marks. And so it was the blend of 
um, my background in clothing and apparel, which is Land's End, and um, training. And so I answered this ad and, you know, this Italian enthusiasm. They were looking for really crazy humans, you know, they were looking for culture fits. And um, so that, that I went out there and interviewed and I remember walking out the door going, oh, my God, there's cows everywhere. I was living in on downtown in Chicago and I moved from the downtown of Chicago to the middle of the Wisconsin farmland. I was 20, <laughs> 23 years old. <laughs> And oh, I'm like, wow. what, what are you thinking? But it made my whole career because we were, um, you know, I was training all the phone operators. So 2,500 people answering the calls. They were farm people. They got up in the morning and they hayed the fields and plucked the eggs from the warm bellies of hens and then logged on to Land's End. And our thing was be yourself. We're going to give you the tools to help customers, but be who you are. Be the people you are. This is who we are. And that was really what spurred on this growth. And as we were growing rapidly, needs emerged. And I had my ear pressed so hard to these folks. I just, and, you know, we were 100 million in sales, which was still a very accessible size company to have a ear, you know, to Gary, the founder. And so I just, I'm kind of fearless, people who know me. And so I just started walking into Gary's office, peppering him. We need to do this. We need to do that. This is happening. This is what we need. And he finally got think sick of me and said, okay, you come and you're going to be the conscience of our company. That's what he called me, not Mm. chief customer officer, conscience of the company. As we grow, you're going to help us and make sure that we're growing the right way with our C-suite and our leaders. We didn't call it the C-suite. We just called it our guys, Um, our guys and our leaders. And um, we're bringing in lots of people. Like we brought in a really great guy who was running a call center, um, but he was running a call center in a typical call center way. For example, he was hanging talk time um, outside the little cubicles that our phone people were in. And as he, and we didn't believe in talk time. We believed in take the time to do the right thing and make sure the customer is in a good place when you hang up the phone. So here's how it went. He was hanging up the talk time uh, and I was walking behind him, tearing it down. <laughs> I didn't endear myself to him, tearing it down behind him because that culturally would have ruined what we what we had built in terms of our customer loyalty and our customer love and who we were. And he didn't love that. And he's like, I'm taking this to the CEO. And I said, do it. And we went to the CEO and he said, Gene is doing this. And he said, that's exactly right. And sometimes it was... Um, a graceful way of helping people realize the land's end way. And sometimes it was more challenging, like what I did, but we got it done and we made sure that the integrity of our values and how we operated sustained and drove our growth. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. So what has happened in the past that has helped more companies to understand that the customer experience is more important. And I should say that there's still an awful lot of companies that don't understand that. Yep. But what is it? What, what are the things that have happened that have made customer experience more of <clears throat> a top of mind concern by management? And, you know, we should also explain the difference between customer experience and customer service. Sure. Sure. So yeah, good question, Doug. So customer, customer service, think about it as a reaction to a problem, right? Some stuff has happened. You've got a customer who's unhappy or needs something, and you're applying whatever person, action, whatever, to solve that problem. It is a reactive approach. 
for a long time, that's what we thought of. Uh, you can also think about customer service as you know, you're waiting on a table and is somebody serving you, but that's kind of the, the way we've been defining it until customer experience is a very proactive and deliberate orchestrating of what we will do to help customers achieve their goals and starting with the customer's goal and their life and then reorienting and building the organization, uniting them to make sure the customer's achieving that thing. So it's a proactive united approach um, to delivering value by starting with the customer's life and their goals. Customer service is a reaction to a problem that often occurred. Um, so you can think about it that way. Does that make sense? Yeah. So was it the, the growth of the internet and social media and the fact that everyone has a, a bullhorn now to yep. tell the world, is that what his... Three big things. Three big things. You ready for him? Hit me. Hit yeah okay three big things number one you're right Doug you hit you hit the nail on the head the internet the the and the bullhorn you know megaphone it is for a long time the brands were being defined by how we sent it out into the world the packaging of the marketing department or the agency or whatever saying here's who we are here's what we do buy our stuff and they had a lot more control us. over what was said. That's exactly it. right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You're so smart. That's right, Doug. Drink, keep drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I should start doing this for my, my actual interviews. Yes. Thank and, you. Um, That's probably and, all I needed to hear, Gene, was keep drinking. That's keep okay. drinking, Doug. Chug yeah. along. Yeah, and that goes for you too, dear song. listener. We, can, we have a drinking song for this. Um, and now, now the definition of who you are as people, how people remember what you did, and, you know, kind of how you behaved, you know, we're living in a moment when I think memory is going to play a huge role in what companies uh, recover and how quickly they recover. And so your customers defining that. And, and, and here's the three things they remember and talk about in social media. Did you do what you said you were going to do when you said you were going to do it? And how you said you were going to do it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, did you improve my life? Was it better because you're a part of this thing I was trying to accomplish? And how did you make me feel? Yes. How did you make me feel? Honored, rewarded, condescended to, trusted, mistrusted, respected, disrespected. Because at the end of the day, those are the three things that people talk about. That brings to mind the Maya Angelou quote which is one of my favorites. And I always think of customer experience, although she was talking about other, you know, broader issues. She said, I've, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. That's exactly right. And this whole notion kind of circling back to the dog book is when you act in a way that's not about looking over your shoulder at what others do, but having this very deep, clear, and, and deliberate lens for decision-making of what you will and will not do to grow, you elevate, you stand out, you become beloved. And it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of paradoxical growth. We're not going to grow by nickeling and diming you. We're going to grow by doing the right things. We're going to grow by giving you service you might not have expected. We're going to grow by being there for you. We're going to grow by trusting you with documents that others think is were insane to trust you with. Um, because at the end of the day, you feel a certain way 
you certainly have a baseline of you got done what you we said you were going to do, but we treated you differently. You feel mm-hmm. like you're being honored and respected. There was a lot of math that I really liked. Well, not a lot, but there was a mathematical approach mm-hmm. in Chief Customer Officer 2.0 that I would think to, would just make any CFO's heart uh, swoon. <laughs> yeah, Can it you, is true. You touch on that, though, because that you, the, it was so interesting. This wasn't, you know, touchy-feely kumbaya. This was dollars and cents. Can you touch a, a briefly about that, about the way that uh, – you would encourage these different companies to start with the numbers at these yes. different meetings. I'm glad you asked that, Doug. And that is actually, you know, continues to be, which flummoxes me. It's kind of like I'm beating this drum that customer experience at the end of the day, at the beginning of the day, whatever time of day, it's a growth strategy. The reason you should be delivering a better experience is to earn the right to growth. Um, a lot of what we're doing is asking customers in the rearview mirror, how did it go? Rate us zero to 10 or whatever. And that's fine in terms of understanding the tactics or some of the actions. There's a whole other conversation around, are you even asking the right questions? But we won't get into that right now. But the biggest thing is that the, uh, the true definition of did you do good for your customer is your customer voting with your feet. And I call this, are you honoring and managing your customer as the asset of your business? And you're right, Doug. I, I learned this at the big companies. At Allstate was the first time I, I used this. And I did. I took it right to the CFO of, at the corporate level of, of Allstate. I was reporting to the president of the personal lines company, cars, boats, homes, you know, the lion's share of that kind of insurance company. And I said, look, we need to count customers. How, how many new customers are we bringing in volume and value? That's all good. You know, let's raise the flag on acquisition. And that's often where cus- companies would define success. But in the same breath, you need to define lost customers in that month or quarter or year volume and value. And the longer you have a customer, it's very often the case that they're actually spending more than your new customers. That's, oh, they always, yes, almost always. That's right. And so one new cannot equal the same as one lost. Mm -hmm. So then you need to do the math of what is our net customer asset growth or loss. And, And what's powerful on this is that in order to really drive a transformational change, you need to do a couple things. One, make the talk track on it so simple and irrefutable that everyone can own it and talk about it. And number two, um, don't overcomplicate the calculation of what you talk about. I mean, part of the challenge with with surveys, when you make that be the only metric, is you can cross-tab your way out of it or refute the methodology or the customer, the lousy customer who answered the survey. And believe me, I've been, been in many, many sessions where that was, we spend more time talking about that than the actual outcome. But you, 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 everybody out there who's done this, you know, but you cannot cross tab your way out of the fact that you either brought in, you kept more customers that you gained or you didn't. And the value of the lost customers was equal to more than the potential value of a new customer. The other thing that's really important is leaders have to be singing the same song. So that means you need to unite your C-suite and then they need to unite their leaders to say, we're going to start every key meeting with, as a result of the experience, we all delivered. This is not a sales metric. 
here's how many new customers we brought in volume and value. And by the way, that means requiring the organization to all agree on what new is. It's not new in product category A, new in product category B, new in product. We need to now unite and roll it up so our CEO has one version of the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Versus those red, yellow, and green dots. What is our lost customer's volume and value? Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, that that, hurts. That gets our attention, doesn't it? That's right. And so what's our net customer asset growth? You know, when we rolled this out, for example, um, to one of the world's largest membership organizations, we did it visually because many people are visual learners. We did bowls of marbles and math. And we created a mathematical equation for each marble equaled how many customers. And there was a value equation in there as well. And we showed them, here's our new customers volume and value. They're like, yeah, we're really great. Look how many. Then we brought the bowl of marbles out of lost customers volume and value. Well, guess which mar- bowl of marbles had more marbles in it? Oh, the, the lost. The lost. Yeah. And now we're showing, look, how much money we're spending on acquisition, marketing, acquisition, cost to get a new customer in, onboarding. And we lost more in this same month. And so this is the work of customer experience is to keep more than you lose. And, you know, then you can also say, um, we lost our marbles. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I've achieved achieved that uh, years ago. But, uh, but, yeah. and, and, and the other thing that it does, if I could just finish that thought and I apologize is it also then forces you to say, if the customer is the asset of the business, then let's reevaluate some of our practices that are driving them to, to go. You know, I have clients who have lost $50 million customers over a $2, $200 change fee. <laughs> right. Ouch. So yeah. this is a shift in attitude. It's not a dashboard. You know, we come up with these metrics and it's some kind of PowerPoint dashboard. This is about humanizing the humans who come in and leave and use whole numbers. We brought in a thousand. We lost twenty five hundred. Yeah. Because you've got to visualize the human. Gene, there was something else in uh, amongst many things, but in Chief Customer Officer 2.0 that really stuck in my head. And I don't know if I have this exactly right, but. It had to do with, let's say you're an executive at a company and you're not mm-hmm. in charge of, you yeah. know, maybe, you're, maybe you're the head of marketing or something like that. And if the management says, you, you need to be in charge of uh, this thing called customer experience, as I recall, you said, be very careful at taking that assignment unless you know that you're going to get uh, management backing. Have you mm-hmm. seen that happen where... They say, well, we tried customer experience. We gave it to uh, Fred down the hall and uh, it didn't work out. So, yep. Happens all the time. Yeah. Was this the power core notion? I can't remember. I, I can't remember much of anything these days, Gene. But uh, well, the. I um, drink. <laughs> right. No, but it was sort of like, as I recall, it was like, if, let's say you're head of marketing and they say, hey. Uh, oh, got it. You, okay. you need to be in charge of customer experience. Well, Okay, at that point, they are asking you to have a lot of responsibility and not really any more authority. And uh, then it just seems like they're setting you up to fail, maybe not without even realizing that they're doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of conditions that that we find that really have to be critical for being successful in these in these operations and in these very vague roles. The first one really is around. Um, 
what I call know your power core. Um, and often people are forced to go in and start doing the whack-a-mole work of fixing things. And they're, they're really not uniting the C-suite and not recognizing that they have to understand um, what master they need to serve initially to prove value. So I'm not sure if this is it or not, Doug, mm -hmm. but this is something that um, has made or break the careers of CCOs. And I learned this, you know, again, you, you learn by doing. That's why I can write about this stuff. So at Allstate, for example, the power core was very much the sales organization. It was around the agent community and what they were doing and keeping them happy at the time and, you know, just making sure things were running for them, which was interesting. Um, and because that was um, kind of the approach, the the way they were compensated was um, new customers only, not the growth of the book of business. And since sales was the power core, I knew I needed to dance and become critical, connected at the hip partner with the senior vice president of sales. Mm. And otherwise, I would not have ever gotten enough traction to earn the right to keep doing the work unless I rang his bell. So in addition with partnering with the CFO, um, we started really digging into, okay, what, what, what we needed to do was grow existing customers. And that meant starting with even how we compensated the agents. And so that was when Allstate made the huge shift to um, compensate the agents, not just by new customers, but, but by retention growth of existing customers. But I wasn't the one that rolled that out. The C senior VP of um, sales rolled that out because he was the power core. He took ownership of it. Right. So what what thoughts have been going through your mind as it relates to customer experience in, in the this crazy pandemic that we're all uh, drinking through? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I think that I was in some calls the other day and people said to me, when can we start selling again? And I said, you know, you have to think about that word. <laughs> you have to think about that word differently because actually growth is through earning. It's not through selling and it's not through getting, and it's always been that way. Um, but for me and for the companies that are beloved and elevated, they take a different path to selling. They, they earn the right to grow through adding value and understanding customers' goals and helping them with their goal, not only directly related to what they sell, but tangentially helping them have complete solutions. In this era of pandemic and whatever we're, we're in, or we call it, you're going to earn the right to a customer coming back to you when they have money in their pocket or their, their brain is on that again. If you were a part of the story now, I, this is this whole thing around my new website, which is how will you be remembered? Mm -hmm. Are you an unforgettable company? Are you there now in the moment being the kind of people who put your own needs aside and say, okay, what do you need now? How can we help you? If you're a healthcare company and you sell healthcare devices, you may not be able to help sell. You may not be able to sell the devices right now, but you can provide information on keeping safe, on information, on um, supporting their people, so that you were there with the right response, with the right information as your customers' goals and needs are shifting and changing. Those are the companies that are going to rise through this, Doug. Those are the companies that you're going to remember. And those are the first people you're going to give money back to when you have it in your pocket to give. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I'm seeing all kinds of generosity and selfless activities by companies that is just really uh, heartwarming. And, you know, there's a few out there that are being a, a bit flat-footed. And, you know, maybe a lot of companies are just kind of hunkering down. I, I, I feel like I got an awful lot of emails from companies that I hadn't heard from in years. Yes, those were annoying. Started to become annoying. Yeah, and it just didn't seem... Um, they were hollow. Well, they were hollow also letters. all about them. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, <laughs> sir. Yep. So I, I, and I know it came from a, you know, a good place, but it was it. Uh, I mean, I got an email from my insurance company saying, "Hey, we're going to give a lot of our premiums back for this quarter or something like that." I thought, "Oh, wow, that really got my attention." But you know, I, I I've gotten some others, and I'm just I'm not quite sure what they're what they're trying to do. And I, I, I guess maybe they're trying to reassure folks and they're, uh, and they're trying, you, they're trying ahead, not sorry. to seem, they're trying not to seem, uh, too salesy, but well, what's, yeah, what, what do you, what do you, th- what do you think's going on there? I, I think they're, you know, I, and that's why I think this time it, it's interesting because the companies that have always grown because they have this certain muscle for, understanding the life they're serving and what they, they, they kind of take an outside in approach. Their response to this is pure and it feels the most congruent with how they normally operated. Right. They're, they're the ones who have said right away, look, we're going to stop the fees on payments, not on time. We're going to reconfigure a payment schedule. We're going to change this. We're going to change that. We know you're going through this. We're doing it through. They're the, they're the immediate ones that you're going to get the content, the letter, and it's going to feel relevant and uh, again, congruent with who they are. I think there's other people who have been thrown into this who are good people, uh, but it's not always how they've run their business. And so they're going to, you're going to get more of a packaged marketing ish kind of response, which which is kind of more than they've normally done, um, but lacking enough detail and sincerity um, and content, quite honestly, that puts them in a pile of, okay, I got 20 of them that look like this. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah. I, I think they're there. They don't know. They don't know, know what to do. I think a lot of listeners are probably thinking the, think in the same way i guess uh before we wrap up are there some are there some ways that you've seen for people to get their companies to better understand the importance of customer experience for instance is it uh some sort of mystery shopping or making the boss uh, become a customer or are there what are those sort of tipping points where companies start to understand that they need to focus more on engineering a better customer experience. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I mystery shop is interesting, but the problem with something that that is a, a, a finite small number of people doing something that then is a report that's presented to others in a PowerPoint deck or a video or something doesn't get you personally involved in the moment Mm -hmm. and doesn't put your skin in the game. What we're finding really changes things for us, especially 
as we start to, to, to help people understand these are human beings and lives you're impacting based on the stuff we're doing, often inadvertently, is we do this thing, we call it fearless listening. We'll bring in 20 customers, let's say, and we'll put executives in the room around the table with those 20 customers. And then we'll go by customer goal and we'll just say, what do you need? How are we delivering it? And how do you feel? And oh, now wow. your customers, now your customers in real life and in real terms are going to tell you what's working, what's not working, um, how you're, you know, how you're making them feel. And it changes everything. I mean, it fundamentally, and now you've got leaders who say, and and we, we coach them before they get into the session, you can't defend, deny, or explain away what the customer is feeling. Your job is only to ask clarifying questions. And we videotape that for the rest of the organization. And we keep doing more and more of those and we bring different people through it. Um, and what are saying in those three questions? Okay, what are your goal? Mm-hmm. As so a customer. We need, as a customer, because we're building stuff. When when we do touchpoint mapping and the company builds touch does touchpoint mapping or the journey stages, what they frame are the process steps that they want to get done. When the customer does touchpoint mapping with you, they identify the goals they want to achieve. I love it because it's uh, it's about them. Yes. So what goal? And we we'll do the work a little work beforehand to to do a straw man of the goals. So is this really your goal? How are we helping you or not helping you achieve it? And how are you feeling as we're doing this with you? Mm. And we'll have the leaders at, at, when we huddle at the end of it going, why didn't you tell us this before? And we're like, we've presented this to you 200 times in <laughs> PowerPoint decks, in survey results, in verbatims, in listening to calls. But there is something, honestly, and you know, no more of the old-fashioned customers in a room with a facilitator behind a mirror yes. and leaders are sitting in some dark room eating cocktail, drinking cocktails and eating cheese platters. Um, it's got to be eyeball to eyeball asking the questions. And when we p- facilitate it, the customers will pivot off one of another, you know, and you'll, you'll learn the darndest things. You know, for example, one of my clients, a huge, very, very large and important um, land developer in Southern California, we, and you got to do it with different contingents of the business. So we brought the CEOs and the principals in one office managers in another session because they live through your your business through different lenses. But in the CEO one, they're like, look, we're going to, we're going to cancel our contracts with you, which were multi multi-million dollar contracts because your parking is so horrible and your parking attendants are lousy. And, you know, and who you never would have asked a question on a survey. Like it just, you never would have even gotten to that. Yeah. Yeah. And they were losing, they were going to lose, but it was also then the, they talked about the way you do a contract. I feel like it's a used car negotiation. This is supposed to be the beginning of punctuating our relationship with you. And it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And the legal people never think like that. They're like, oh, well, it's a contract. It's supposed to be crunchy and lousy. You're like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, they, they, th- what you hear is, and if you got that in a survey, in a PowerPoint deck, it would have been, our contract process is too long and lengthy. And then you'd be all, you'd be going into this whole cycle of what are the process steps? And, and the customer is saying, you don't sound like you trust me. 
Those were the words they used. Mm. It feels like you don't trust me. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to work with you? It feels like you're used car salesman. You're hearing the values that they're assigning on you of who you are as people, which then drives you to be innovative and do things differently and break out the mold of business as usual. And you're never going to get to those innovative human moments if you don't do human, this fearless human listening. Yes. So, Jean, what's ahead for you? Did you have, I, I follow you on the talks you give around the world. I think I saw that you were speaking to, uh, was it a car manufacturer uh, in Australia at one point? And what, what, did all your trips get canceled or is there, <laughs> is there another book in the future? Um, I, you know, a lot of things got canceled. I'm doing a lot of things virtually right now. And I'm also doing this kind of this, this important give back for me, I'm calling it daily dose of optimism, where I've been highlighting the good acts of companies, like you've mentioned, and then turning it into a little lesson at the end for um, what, what's your version of this. I've also been interviewing great people who have inspired us. I interviewed Horst Schultze, the uh, co-founder of Ritz-Carlton, yesterday on, on my LinkedIn live show. I'm, trying, I'm doing a lot of live, which is interesting. Again, back to that human listening. But what's, what's interesting for me, Doug, I've been doing this work for 35 years, as anything has become popular, like customer experiences, we're, we're, we, we are at the risk, and I think right now we're at a deep risk of, of making the work be about the mechanics and not the meaning of the work. We can glom onto journey mapping and touch point mapping and surveys, but at the end of the day, that 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 loses the layer of how your leaders will lead and are they connected to the goals and customers' lives that you are there to deliver and to protect and the dignity of people that is the leadership's role of building into your operating plan. Mm. And that is missing in 90% of the customer experience transformations that I'm, I'm seeing. And so I am, that is the tear and the drum I am beating, which is, are you building an unforgettable company? How mm. will you be remembered? What is your operating approach that will make people define you in a certain way that will elevate your behavior and that will keep pulling people back to you so that you earn that admirable growth, growth that's grounded in admiration for how you run your company, for how you honor your employees, and for how you respect and deliver respect to your customers and your partners. Mm, well said. Well, Gene, I'm going to keep doing these uh, daily interviews uh, in addition to the weekly interview that I do about an author's new book. And uh, I'm going to do it until I either run out of authors who've been on the Marketing <laughs> Book Podcast or the quarantine lifts. But my daughter doesn't know. My daughter came home from college and then yes. they said, don't come back. And you know about that. And uh, yep. she was in you know, class today and, uh, you know, meaning on her laptop, uh, you know, Zoom. And uh, she doesn't know that I'm speaking to you directly, but I I'm sure that she would thank you profusely for talking to her dad so that she didn't have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's been, you know, uh, you're a great dad, Doug. It's been interesting to watch um, the, uh, you know, I've been on so many calls with folks and their kids are on, in the periphery of the shot and they're dragging them into now their video calls and I'm like, oh, dad, I don't want to meet Mrs. Bliss or whoever. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> 
I kind of love the humanity of it. This is the other thing I'm loving about this moment is the veneer and the packaging is being ripped off of all of us. Yes, I love that. Yeah, you know, we've got CEOs sitting in sweaters on couches and, you know, let's not lose that. Let's keep our families you know, known. We have families. We yeah. we are human beings. I kind of dig that whole thing. Yeah. And even I, I can't go get a haircut and I... Oh, I know. Do you have a Furby? I, I stopped shaving. <laughs> I'm starting to look like a Civil War general here. I and, know. I know. I, I, I have to use that stupid spray stuff for your roots. Oh my God. It's just grotesque. Oh, so... But like you said, the veneer is gone. It's like, you know, who are we trying to fool in the first place? And uh, it's just, you know, I, that that is kind of refreshing. So, and of course, we're always trying to look for the look for the good things. So, Gene Bliss, thank you so much for uh, joining me for a cocktail here on Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. I think uh, I hope you get back on the road at at some point new and uh, oh, that I you. I'm going to include a link to your website, which is also where people can find out about your podcast and everything else you're doing, yep. including the three blocks line story. Uh, and, and if folks go to marketingbookcocktails.com, they'll be able to find all these, these interviews. So that's so fantastic. Doug, thanks for doing this for everybody. You know, we all have to contribute in our own way. And I, I love that yours includes alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I do what I can. I do what I can. Have a great day. And I uh, hope you can do that graduation for your daughter. We're all on Amazon or wherever buying uh, fake caps and gowns for these poor kids that have missed out on their graduations. Oh, great idea. Yeah, I need to do something. I need to channel all this into some creative outlet, kind of like these uh, these sort of things. So That's right. Okay. All right, everybody. Last call. <laughs>